welcome back everybody. This is Hypnological Highlights episode 27 and we're back for another news niche, the episode with the bad name, where we just <laughs> gather a whole bunch of interesting highlights over the past couple of weeks and have a sort of just chat about all sorts of recent things with no coherent theme or pattern. Uh, I'm Ben Marshall and co-hosting as always is Thomas Major. So, back to the news niche. Thomas Major, it's very formal, Ben. Oh yeah, sorry. <laughs> Thomas Major, Benjamin Marshall, and this is our podcast. Yeah, <laughs> I think these ones are quite cool because it's actually like it's actually the herpetological highlights, whereas usually it's kind of just like a topic that we decide. Whereas now these are true highlights of the last sort of few weeks. Yes, but I feel like I tend to go for more general and less herpetological in these, just because I have an excuse to do some weird meta ones. Yeah, I just read the things that I think look most interesting. Today it was crocodiles. Ah, <laughs> oh, we've both read the same thing, haven't we? Well, that's not necessarily a bad thing. It's not, <clears throat> but I kind of expected it. Do we want to start with that? It. Do we want to uh, start talking well, with crocodiles? Do you remember last week when you were like, oh, I've got one more thing I want to mention. And I was like, oh, Ben, don't talk about crocodiles. Oh. That was That was foreshadowing for this. Well, now we can talk about crocodiles, can't we? Yeah, we can. Um, I'm happy to go straight into some crocodiles, if you'd like. It might yeah. not be the same thing. I would imagine it probably is. It's big crocodile news. But actually, um, have you got one or two papers here? To talk about? Yeah. Uh, the, the crocodiles. Oh, I only have one crocodile paper. Okay, so before that big one, I've got a small one, which I think is probably prudent to mention first, before it gets kind of like squashed by the other one. Okay. It's all become clear. Okay, so basically, do you remember in uh, whichever episode it was, we did an episode on crocodiles, specifically the Temistema, Temistema schlegeli. Yes. I can't remember what number it was, but um, it was called Crocs. And uh, we looked at a paper by Agatha Staniewicz and co. Um, to do with Temistema ecology. And uh, that, well, Agatha has just come out with another paper um, on May the 3rd about physiological colour change in the crocodilian, the Temistema. And uh That's the paper I've got. That's the that's to that's, me is the big paper. <laughs> oh, that's the paper you've got. Okay, cool. Well let's talk about that. Okay, let's talk about that. Um Yeah. Okay, so yeah. Well then alright, yeah, you crack on, carry on. Yeah, so basically it's the first report of physiological colour change in a crocodilian. Um which you know, there are plenty of examples in the world of morphological uh, colour change. And even in crocodiles, there's been reported in saltwater cro- crocodiles. And that's a sort mm. of colour change over a longer period of time, like a sort of seasonal or longer colour change. What we're talking about here is a colour change on a sort of daily cycle. It's linked to the circadian rhythm, basically. And it's, yeah, first time it's been seen in a crocodilian, which is rather fascinating. Yeah, it's really, really cool. Especially because it's the best crocodile out there. So yeah, those that I'm not going to fight you on that. <laughs> they're so cool. So uh, the Temistema is this giant... It's massive. It's like... I can't remember. I don't want to say what number biggest crocodile it is, but it's a big beast. And um, they are from sort of Indonesia, Malaysia, uh, peatland swamps. And they are slender-snouted like a gharial. They're called the false gharial. Um, well, but we don't call them that, do we? 
We don't because I think it's a savage cop out. Yeah, you're right. I yeah. should never have even said that. Why did I say that? What did you bring Just up? Call it call it a tomissima. Call it what it is. Yeah. But uh, yeah, like you say, this sort of morphological color change, as you said, saltwater crocodiles in the 1980s. If you put them in a dark place, they go dark. If you put them in a light place, they go light. But it takes a few few a few months, uh, or so it seemed. Um, and yeah, the, the tomistoma they noticed because they were catching these juvenile tomistomas at night. And um, when they caught them at night from their boats, they were picking them out of the water and looking at their bellies and their bellies were like bright white. And then uh, later on in the day when they came to measure them, they were noticing that their bellies had gone a much darker color. Mm. Um, so that kind of instigated this sort of photography thing where they took photos of them at different times of day and under different light regimes yes. to see whether or not it was eliciting a change in their belly color. Yeah, and they weren't seeing the same sort of change in stuff that also stuff they were catching. They were catching um, Siamese crocs at the same time and not seeing it. So it wasn't some like weird. I, don't, I just really like that as a sort of. There's not some weird pollutant or something getting at crocodiles in this place. It is a species specific and sort of juvenile trait. Yes, because the big crocs. ones weren't doing it, were they? Well, they were doing it considerably less. And there was a there was a smaller difference between the colour change, but it was mostly because they weren't getting as darker when they were. Yeah, the, what, yeah, the babies were going dark in the was, day. Wasn't it? Babies were going dark in the day, which is weird. It doesn't yeah. really make sense. Why go dark during the day? Um, they postulate that maybe it has something to do with the heavily tannin-stained water they inhabit. But and also these are these are nocturnal animals, so for them to be eliciting a colour change during the day seems kind of weird because. The adults, their default is like the lighter belly, right? So Yeah, counter shading. Yeah, so it's the darkness that they're creating or seemingly like, you know, putting on. Um, and why they do that during the day where they're seemingly inactive is a bit of a mystery. But either way, very cool. And it's on the bellies as well. That's that's the other critical thing. It's yeah. only the underside, which sort of counteracts any ideas you would have about thermoregulation. Exactly, yeah. Unless, also, of course, they thermoregulate on their backs. Well, yeah, they just kind of like rock around and lay on their backs sunbathing <laughs> and then get the belly in the sky, which makes no sense and definitely no crocodile would do that. But, um, well, no well, crocodilian would I do mean... that. I should say crocodilian. But, um, yeah, I think, uh, yeah, like you say, really cool paper. However, um, this paper, in the title, it says first record of physiological colour change in a crocodilian. But that's actually not the case. It was actually pitted to the post, which is the other paper I was going to talk about. What? Uh, yeah, so uh, a couple of weeks before this came out, um, I'm pretty certain that's right. Um, a paper came out in Nature Scientific Reports by Merchant et al. And they studied 24 different species of crocodilian. Uh, looking at whether or not they match their background colour. So whether or not crocodiles in a dark place go dark, crocodiles in a light place go light. So Wait, they is, it, in black and it, white is it a light place as in light places in light levels or light place as in background ah, colour? No, it's a light place as in background colour. Right, so okay. Black so it's tank not... Because that was the trick tank. with the one we've just talked about was it was light as in luminance. Yes. Which is changing it, it, not temperature or anything else that they, they looked yeah, at. Yeah, they ruled out stress too, didn't they? But, ruled um, out stress, yeah. yeah. No, so it's a different thing eliciting the change, but it's still a physiological colour change where the crocodiles themselves are somehow mediating a change in their melanin-containing pigment cells to change colour rather than 
like you said, morphological colour change, which is where the actual number of pigment-containing cells or their quality changes over a much longer period of time. So it's this short-term physiological colour change. And they actually looked at 24 species. And what they found was that every single member of the family Crocodilidae, which is the true crocodiles, changed colour. Except for two. Not crocodiles. No, <laughs> no. So, yeah, the, the Crocodilidae all changed colour except two. While the Alligatoridae, so that's alligators and caiman, they were unable to change colour. Um, so it's quite mm. cool because it suggests that this development of colour changing ability came along after the split of the two families, which is sort of around 80 million years ago. So, And it doesn't croc- suggest that it was just lost once in alligators. Well, what they think now is because uh, there's... Oh, I see what you mean. I think... Um, like it could be one. I don't know. Like if sorry, it's a- sorry, sorry. Wait. So you think? Uh, well, no. Just because if you look at their phylogeny, what you see is that there's like loads of different species of alligator and caiman that are all related, and there's loads of species of cro- crocodile lid, like true crocodiles, and they're all related. And it's so defined which ones change color and which ones don't. So it suggests that yeah, it evolved after the split. Okay. Was this Merchant et al. Twenty eighteen. Obviously. I did say after the split first, didn't I? After the after the split, yes, that's what. Yes, and I no wait. What what's the? <laughs> what are they saying? The ancestral state of these crocodiles are that they had it or they didn't have it. Didn't have it. They didn't have it, and, and then, then they cro- developed. Crocodilidae got it, but alligatoridae didn't. Okay, and I was sort of asking, how do they know that it was ancestral? for um, Ancestral to not have it. Oh, and having a look at the tree, it's quite obvious why. Because the split between crocodiles and alligators is much further back than splits further down between crocodiles and stuff that I can't... I don't honestly know what those species are, which also don't have it. Yes. Yeah, there's... Yes. I'm just going to get that. If they had it, then it it would push the potential... For it being an ancestral strike further back in time, I think, because because that if because they've lost it, yeah, it would I, imply that there would be two changes to get those without it and the alligators without it. Whereas saying crocodiles developed it, that's only one change. Yeah, and they moreover the crocodiles developed it after thirty or forty million years ago when the two species that don't have it which are the African dwarf crocodile and the African slender-snouted crocodile, split from genus Crocodilus. Yeah. Yeah. Because there's two, there's two in Crocodilidae that don't have it, yeah, but they that's... are not within the genus Crocodilus. Yeah, they're the ones that uh, make it all seem very clear. Yeah, because I was just imagining, without those guys, just alligator-crocodile split, and then it would be difficult to infer which or which if you just had this... this one point where it could go one way or another. Mm, I see what you mean. Okay, yeah. So the the two additional ones kind of give it a bit more credence. Uh, yeah. So, so what? what was... did it, sorry, I'm I'm just looking. I'm still looking at the figure, and they've got um, Garials and Tomistomo there with mm, yes. dots next to the name. Ben, you gotta let me finish. You're killing me. Sorry. <laughs> Sorry, <laughs> I mean, you, I've got a figure in front of me. I want to know everything about it now. 
Okay, so they also tested the very last family, which is Gavialidae, which is Gerials, one of which is the Tomistema. And what they found is that the Gerials, the Tomistema and the other Gerial from South and Southeast Asia, uh, when they are exposed to darker, con- lighter conditions, when they're, when they're exposed to lighter conditions, their back and sides go darker. So that's the opposite response to the crocodiles from crocodilus um which corroborates oh, what? what yeah what stanowicks found which is that gerial tomistomas go lighter when it's darker which is the opposite and doesn't really make a lot of sense which would also imply that they're doing it for different reasons wouldn't it yeah you'd think so unless yeah. so, unless tomistoma and stuff are not are they nocturnal i've forgotten tomistoma are nocturnal yeah are these other, um, like, well, saltwater no, crocodiles and stuff? I think saltwater they... crocodiles hunt... I don't know if they're nocturnal or diurnal. But you see enough videos of them eating stuff during the day. That's so weird. Do they do they suggest why that would be a reason? Why they're opposite? Uh, all they say is that... Um, uh, yeah, they just say that gerial skin colour darkens when exposed to light environments and lightens in dark environments, likely an adaptation to aid in crypsis, similar to countershading described in fish. But they don't really go into the fact that it doesn't really make sense for countershading because why go dark when it's light? Because if something's viewing you from underneath and yeah. it's light, you'd think you'd want to be as light as possible on the underneath. So it doesn't actually make much sense. How interesting. Yeah. What a mystery. But- yeah, but it's amazing because, you know, we went from not knowing for definite that any crocodile species, well, anything from crocodilia could physiologically change colour, although we did know they could change colour over a long period of time. This has just blown that all completely out of the water and it turns out that every every single one they tested in crocodilus can change colour, um, while alligators and caiman can't, and gharials can and they do it the opposite way around. Mm. Yeah, I'm. Yeah, that's just so. Yeah, is this happening? Where is this happening? Do you mean where do they take the experiments? No, I mean, is it just ventral color change? Oh is no, it... this is all dorsolateral. Um, this is all dorsal color change. So they actually found. So the thermoregulation that... angle on that would make sense, wouldn't it? Darker color in a darker environment. Yeah, it would. Yeah, it would. Oh, they did both. They did. They did background and light intensity. Oh, interesting. Okay. They also looked to see whether or not um, vision was playing a role in the colour change, so whether or not these crocodiles were getting the cues from what colour to be from their eyes. And they tested this by blindfolding some of them and putting them (laughs) in different scenarios. And, yeah, their ability to match the surroundings didn't work when they were blindfolded. What they would do is just act as if it was dark, which suggests that... Unless you've got a stress factor you know, muddling that up, but... Yeah, they did do something to allow for stress as well. Um, They did do that. They found ones that were naturally born blind. (laughs) It just says here, yeah, although stress could, from handling a restraint, could have influenced colour changes, the data suggests that the observed effects are not caused by stress. And they measured corticosteroid levels and... Skin darkening and corticosteroid levels were increased in dark tanks. But when they were put back in light tanks, they stayed stressed, but they also went back to being light. 
So okay. there wasn't a correlation. Yeah, so there, there's a, there's a, there is a separation between your proxy for stress. And... Yeah. Okay. Yeah. Yeah. And actually, uh, Stanowitz et al., that paper also allowed for stress too. Um, and because obviously there was a lot of handling stress going on. And uh, mm. they didn't find that stress was having an influence. Yeah. No, that's uh, that's really cool. That's really I'd cool. like to think of crocodiles being, you know, they're not going to show that they're stressed. They're not going to be phased visibly. <laughs> they're just like, whatever. Put me in a dark tank. I'm still going to match it. Put me in a light tank. I'll match that too. I'm not stressed. <laughs> <laughs> but I do need to be able to see it to be able to yeah. match it. But my corticosterone levels are through the roof. Because <laughs> you are upsetting me. Yeah. No, but that no. is a really cool couple of papers. Yeah. So long story short, crocodiles can change colour. So can gharials. Alligators can't, and neither can two species of crocodile, which are slightly more distantly related and not in the genus Crocodilus. Yeah. Next step, see if they can go blue. Blue? Of all colours. <laughs> I think by now, if crocodiles could turn blue, someone would have noticed. I think enough of them are kept in blue pools around the world. Oh, yeah, they probably are. Oh, yeah. Mm. Um, what else was I going to say on that? Oh yeah, I suppose the next steps beyond this is narrowing down exactly why, isn't it? That's that's the real. Are there benefits from more colour change, less colour change, and whether it's homologous across an entire species? If it's so sensitive that it's just reacting to light, I could imagine it being quite dramatically different in different locations. But then, I suppose what do you mean maybe... in like closed habitat versus open habitat? Is that the kind of thing you're thinking? Of? Yeah, like mangroves to other. F- Areas when saltwater crocodiles are further out than upstream, things like that. Yeah, but then again, because a lot light of these guys do range it. quite far. Yeah, they do. But if light is mediating it, um, and it seems that they've got pretty good control over it, then they can just sure. react as they, they yeah, need to. Yeah, they just react as they go along, and no matter how dark it gets, they go as dark as they can. I guess it is possible that like once some really close environments could potentially be selected to be able to go even darker than others whereas like you know estuarine saltwater crocodiles probably maybe could have less capacity to go dark who knows yeah it's just interesting that it's it's yeah that would be cool to do and it'd be pretty easy to do that i would imagine just have to collect them from different areas and these one thing that was quite cool about this is that all these crocodilians came from loads of different facilities around the world it was a big collaboration yeah. No, that is very cool. Big crocodile news. What else have we got? You got anything else crocodile based? I've got nothing else crocodile based, I'm afraid. <laughs> no, me neither. That's it for crocodiles. <laughs> um, I wanted to... If, if you're up for another mystery... Yeah, go on. If, if people are won't get dissatisfied by a lack of answers. Uh, mutual friend Matt Ward published in Herp Review recently the unusual mortality of an elongated tortoise. Really? I didn't see this. Oh boy, this is a weird... <laughs> I don't know. I've had a discussion with him about this and I have no idea what's going on here. Um, <laughs> this is so exciting. <laughs> so basically this adult female, uh, 24 centimetres long about 14 centimeters wide 
was found dead in a pool of water. Just sort of pool of water was 16 centimetres deep, 15 centimetres wide. Okay. Um, animals just sort of went in and was found dead. Okay, so I'm going to play the role of the detective in this investigation. Yeah. And I'm going to sort of just sort of wax lyrical about what my thoughts are as you go along, if that's all right. So currently, you know, I think drowning. It's drowned, surely. Well, that's that's the best um, going theory, is it just went in there, got stuck and drowned. Like, so that's, sad. But, it, you know, how stupid can it be that it sort of went in and just sort of got stuck? It's really odd. Because it wasn't a super dry period in in and around. So there were other sources of water. It didn't have to risk, if, if tortoises can even compute risk like that, didn't have to risk <laughs> going into a deep pool of water. There were other Wait. pools around it. If there's any animal that's risk averse, it's definitely going to be the tortoise. <sighs> I mean, it wasn't. It didn't seem unhealthy. It still had fat reserves in the tail. Um, time of year also meant there was plenty of food around. These guys pretty much eat anything anyway. This is in Thailand, yeah. Yeah, yeah. Um, didn't look old. Didn't look diseased. Didn't have any external parasites. Um, there were maybe suggestions that it, it. So the pool is like next to a. A rock face. So maybe it fell off the top of the rock face and landed in the pool and couldn't get out or something like that. Or it hit its head. But didn't look like it fell. And even if it did, I don't think that would be enough to end these tortoises. I've, some of them get pretty roughed up and they're still all right. So what? It's bizarre. It Wait just a minute. sort of so drowned. Is, there, is, is this pool of water? Because, you know, I'm imagining like a bowl shape, right? There yeah. must be like a shape of water where... Uh, if the bowl is just the right shape, the front of the tortoise's shell will touch one side, the back will touch the other side, and it will kind of get wedged there, and it won't I, be able to get any purchase. No, I mean, it. I don't think... The, the pool is big enough so that doesn't... wouldn't happen, because we're talking about a, a tortoise that's 24 centimetres long, so half of it is still out the water. Jeez. I mean, it's a big can, tortoise. So, did... Yeah, it's did, a proper adult uh, female, and she was even found to have a broken egg. In a, at the time. A broken egg? Yeah. So that suggests a fool, no? Well, nothing on the outside suggested a fool <laughs> at all. What about, were the other organs okay? As far as I know. There was no obvious, obvious, uh, like, ruptures or anything like that, as, as, as far as I know. Maybe it just gave up the ghost. Just had enough. Yeah, it's just a just like a, a pool in the side of a rock, and it's just... Have you got a photo? Yeah. Can I have a look? Can you send me it? Just, like, I don't know, what's the best way to do that? I'm going to screenshot it and okay. send it via Skype. There we go, on the way. Oh, no. Ah. But it doesn't look, you know, to to fallen and, and done itself in like that. Was it underweight? You I said mean, it had good fat reserves, didn't you, in the tail? Yeah, the body... Could... Direct quote, the body condition of the animal suggested good health with fat reserves in the tail remaining. So it hadn't just got stuck in there and starved? No, but it could have got stuck in there and drowned. Yeah. Perhaps it just got too tired out. It just seems it just seems odd. It just seems really odd when there is other resources available and other stuff going on. It doesn't look like it should be dead in that tiny pond. 
It's like a paddling pool for a human. How's it died in there? But there <laughs> so again, weird, you know, it? holes, holes are a menace for tortoises because you know the Galapagos tortoises. Mm. There's like big ditches in the Galapagos from like various happenings and goings on. You know, like being, you know, just natural processes anyway. So a lot of these ditches, giant tortoises fall into them, and they die because they can't get out. And it gets to a point where so many giant tortoises have fallen and died that their shells have actually formed a bridge for the next generation of tortoises to cross safely. Ridiculous. I mean, that's yeah. what... That's essentially what must have happened here, is tortoise fell in and drowned. Simple as that. Yeah. But it just sort that... of beggars belief that an animal can survive until... You know, this is a proper adult female right here. And then just fall in a little pool it's kind of tragic really so yeah just like the fallacy of the tortoise so well adapted and so impervious to danger and then dies from ending up in a shallow hole yep interesting though cool paper nice one Matt yeah <laughs> I just I just wanted to tell everybody about this weird mystery <laughs> <laughs> oh, dear, dear. so uh <laughs> oh gosh From Tortoises to Frogs, I read an interesting one about um, Hylocinaria, the American green tree frog. Oh, yes. And, uh, yeah, this is actually more to do with corticosterone, like we were talking about with the uh, crocodiles at the end there. And uh, this is from Leary and Buter. It came out in February. Um, uh, where was it published? Oh, Functional Ecology. And uh, what they were looking at is they were trying to work out how corticosterone plays into the interactions between male frogs. And what they were doing is they basically had this theory that corticosterone would upset male frogs and be a part of their kind of calling to other male frogs where if a male frog was calling to another male frog and it felt like, oh, this other male frog's kind of defeated me here, the calling is a little bit better its b- brain would then release or, you know, corticosterone would then be released inside its body, which would signify to that frog that it was the loser. And so what they did was they had these happy-go-lucky just frogs. Yeah, they just had one male frog by itself and it was happily calling away. And what they would do is they injected it with corticosterone. And what they found that was that when the frog had been injected with corticosterone, it would stifle its calling and it would put way less effort into acting like a big shot because it would have this sort of sneaking suspicion that it was a loser. Oh, no. And, uh, yeah, it's Injecting self-doubt into frogs. <laughs> yeah, essentially. And so it stimulated the feeling that it lost a calling contest. And, uh, yeah, it would just put way less, way less effort into calling. And then they compounded this. So they'd take that same frog that had corticosterone injected into it. And then they'd play a frog call through the speakers of another male frog. And after that, the frog fully just piped down. crying. Yeah, it's just like, I'm having none of this. Just went completely silent. Oh, and man. so, yeah, what they've basically demonstrated is that this corticosterone stress hormone has an active role in uh, male-to-male vocal combat in these uh, green tree frogs. And uh, yeah, once they feel that they've lost the fight, it, they reduce investment in reproductive behavior. So it's really cool. They've That's worked a big out, deal. Yeah, they've worked out what this, how this hormone is mediating these uh, these bouts. 
Yeah, because you now translate that hormone, like what's going to cause changes in those hormone levels, like, I don't know, distance to road or some sort of disturbance event or something else on top of that. Yeah. And suddenly you're having it not just stressing an animal out, but having a direct impact on potentially reproductive success. Yep, yep. Bad yeah. weather, being too warm, climate change. I was, I was thinking road noise more yeah, than anything. Definitely just going road back noise. to We've... previous episodes. Yeah, yeah, yeah. That's good. That would be a cool next step. Putting Maybe it it's in, already been done. Putting it in nature. Yeah, it's difficult to get cortisone levels from stuff in the wild without sort of modifying that in some way, isn't it? I don't know how quickly stress well it, it yeah, happens people... and then goes into the animal and so it would confound your sampling. Yeah. Uh, thing is with frogs, because they're kind of so emotionally well not I don't want to say they're emotionally <laughs> they're <so> complex. Emotional. <laughs> but you know, their their social behaviours are so complicated. Uh you'd imagine that you know, the there was a necessity for hormonal influence to have quite quick effect because it'd be no yeah. good if you're a frog that lost a bout. If your corticosterone came in 20 minutes after that, there's still time for that other frog to have mashed you up pretty badly before you've thought to get away. And for so, some um, reason, them being soggy animals makes me feel like hormones move faster in them. Oh, 100%. But that's completely mate. nonsensical. I if think. you just drop it on them, they're covered. They're covered. <laughs> they can breathe through their skin. The hormones must be throughout. It's like, you know, there's no, there's no brainer. It makes perfect sense. But no, but I do know that with rattlesnakes, they reckon it takes sort of 15, 20 minutes. So you can actually take a blood sample without, and you know, get sort of yeah, a Yeah, without getting the spike. Sample. Um, well, and the other thing with snakes and stuff is you can get it from keratin, can't you? Yes. Yeah, you can get it from shed skins, can't you? Mm, which you're not going to get from a frog. We could take a little scrape off a frog and that might be a good way to get it prior to the frog being stressed by the scrape. Mm, but that will give you chronic stress. That won't give you stress during a, a mating bout or anything, will it? I don't you know. You need to work out how what space of time that scrape would represent. Like, how, how often is that replaced to a degree yeah. that it's getting new hormones in it? Mm. Well, who knows, mate? I don't know enough about it. We can only postulate. But, <laughs> well, funnily enough, talking about frog sensitivities which are great as we know and you know their skin especially is being moist they're sensitive souls um there's another paper by kelleher et al published last week in behavioral ecology and social biology sorry behavioral ecology and sociobiology um and this is basically a review of amphibian personality which it's a long long review worth to read really interesting amphibian i've never personality yeah, amphibian personality. What? Yeah, and uh, essentially there's a lot of evidence. Well, because you remember last week, last well, two weeks ago, we were talking about the annals and kind of individual behaviour mediating evolution. Yes, yes, with the encounter what? rates having a having a big deal and, yeah, how you can see that sort of spiralling up, yeah? Yeah. Well, this, this paper kind of draws together all the evidence from frogs, salamanders and newts that there are different ways in which individuals behave which can be termed personality so for example there might be wimpy frogs that don't want to do a lot or you know are overreactive to certain scary Mm. stimulus equally there's bold frogs which when presented with a predator model 
might just you know shrug it off and carry on their business there's frogs and newts which are more willing to explore uh, there's ones which are kind of more socially adept etc etc i got and, a good um, example of bold versus timid frogs yeah go on oh do i mean uh, not frogs but toads with the colonization uh front in um, australia you have bolder toads that go further and that's what's sort of self-perpetuating this faster and faster colonization yeah, so this is exactly the kind of thing I'm talking sort about. Sort of sorted over distance with the bold ones going and distancing themselves from the timid ones. Yeah. Yeah, so while that is kind of a negative consequence of personality because that's an invasive species, one of the things they talk about in this review is how we should potentially be utilising personalities in reintroduction efforts. So if you're selecting frogs to breed for ex situ conservation projects, you kind of need two things from those frogs. You need them to be really prolific breeders which might be associated with certain types of personality. But then also, once they're reintroduced, you need them to be effective colonizers. And uh, whether or not those two things are kind of linked in terms of personality is one thing. But you might need to select certain individuals that are kind of either more or less bold or have larger home ranges if you're going to look for ones which are going to be good colonizers. Um, But it's just kind of the beginnings of this new sort of take on things we should be considering in conservation efforts which maybe have been overlooked so far. Yeah, it's a difficult one to... I mean, I'm remembering now seeing some footage of the uh, Golden Mantellas and them having, you know, some people discussing different personalities of Mantellas in their breeding programme. Pretty sure that was Chester Zoo. That might have even been Secret Life of the Zoo that they were talking about that. <laughs> what was that on? That was on something. Yeah, Chester Zoo definitely did a documentary. But, um... My worries is, how do you know, like, okay, you're breeding these certain characteristics and personalities to make it a better uh, colonizer or recolonizer in some of the cases. Once you've released them to the wild, are they going to sort of settle back down to what the previous ones looked like, maybe? You sort of presume they would because the selective pressures in the natural environment would probably tend to put them back to where they were. But there is this slight worry in the back of my head that what you're doing is almost reverse domestication or, or is akin to domestication, but in a different way because you're, mm. you're selecting so traits. So it's kind of like you? extreme wildification. Which, yeah. So you might inadvertently I'm, create. Yeah, it just makes me a little bit <laughs> You might inadvertently nervous. create like a super <laughs> terror menace frog that becomes an invasive species just by selecting for these traits. Well, well, yeah, let's let's think about it. Maybe you maybe you get a bunch of you know whatever frog and you make them hyper good colonizers. Okay, they're going to be good at recolonizing their natural range, but oh boy, you don't want to let them yeah. anywhere else. <laughs> yeah, just inadvertently create a monster. Well, maybe, maybe, but yeah, and yeah, I mean that's pro- that's probably a minor concern compared to the concern of losing species and whatever, and actually you know needing these these recolonization mm. populations, but. I'm always going to have that worry when people are meddling with uh, meddling with breeding certain things because you just have to look at a pug and know where things end up. Yeah, but they wouldn't get far in the jungle, would they? No, that's my problem. That's my point. Yeah. So, uh, yeah, I don't know. I just thought it was cool. Like, this idea that there's individual personalities even among, you know, populations of frogs. Um, yeah, really long review. 27 pages of you know, amphibian personality goodness. So check it out. 
No, I think I, I think I might. That just yeah. sounds very cool. Yeah, I mean, I've not really done it justice there. I've kind of like massively probably oversimplified it, but I just was interested in the conservation element of it. Yeah, but I mean, um, these review papers are like an entire episode's yeah. worth of content. Yeah, they are. They're ridiculous. Some of them are just. Yeah, but yeah, Kelleher et al. Twenty eighteen. That was a cool one. Cool. Um, do you have anything else herp related? Because I've got a slightly meta one to. May I'm I'm all I'm I'm, I'm all out of juice. All right. Well, then we can we can round it off with a, with a couple of meta ones. One is a very short thing, which I'll save for the end. Um, <laughs> what I did want to bring up was Mackenzie Mackenzie's uh, preprint that just came out on Science Podcasts, which basically is a big analysis of the current English-speaking production of podcasts from 2004 to 2018. And I found that pretty interesting, just to see how much stuff is out there. And I presume that the people listening to this are also interested in science podcasts, otherwise they might not be listening to this. Well, they're quickly realising they're not interested in either. <laughs> <laughs> Wait a second. <laughs> this podcast is super lame. I hate science. I hate frogs especially. I hate frog personalities. <laughs> Crocodiles, schmocodiles. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, so there are way more podcasts than I thought even exists. 952 publicly available English-speaking language science podcasts. Indeed. Wow, that's a lot. And 46 of them are basically active, as in they they published an episode in the last three months. Well. And only 40% of them have been act- inactive for over a year. So 60% of your 900 are still relatively alive, which is, that's a lot of podcasts. We got mentioned in it, didn't we're, we? We're, count, we're one of the 952. <laughs> yes! Selling you, mate. We're going to be famous soon. <laughs> <laughs> well, we're still in the 72% of podcasts that have produced less than 50 episodes. Ah. We're, not, we're only just over halfway to that milestone. Also, they, the uh, the authors did mistakenly think that we were um, publishing spontaneously, randomly, when actually we are every two weeks. But um, apparently that's because we released three episodes in short succession at the start. I asked them on Twitter. They said that's And right. we also had a couple of the interview ones that chopped up our ah, uh, fortnightlies as well. Indeed we did. Yeah. Um, What else? We are another good thing. We're in the 51% that provide proper supplementary material in the form of show notes which is nice to see so the majority of podcasts just do have show notes to go alongside them which i think are pretty critical for sake of you know oh i heard something cool on that podcast now i can't find it and i'm not listening to the whole thing again just to find out what that reference was yeah so yeah good stuff um what is also interesting is it sounds like I mean, science podcasts are growing more and more, and they're now sort of exponentially growing from 2010 onwards, but it's not special to science podcasts. That's just the general trend in podcasting overall, and it just happens that science podcasts are doing it too. So in that sense, it's keeping up. Yeah. Podcasts are great. I've gotten so much more into podcasts since I started podcasting. I listen to like probably 10 different podcasts now. I want to listen to more, mm. but... Well, it's great I, because... I find them hard to listen to while doing uh, writing and or stack yeah. stuff. See, That's I, my problem because I, don't, I feel like I'm missing half the stuff on the podcast. 
because I'm shutting it out to do, you know, a bit of coding or something. Yeah, it's good if you've got like menial stuff to do or if you're sort of driving. Yeah, I don't have a car anymore, so I can't do that. Ah, you're out of luck, mate. Maybe you could go for a nice walk. (laughs) A a nice walk to listen to a podcast. Yeah, that actually sounds like a really nice way (laughs) to spend the afternoon. Yeah, I think it's a good. If you're walking, listening to this podcast, get in touch. We'd like to hear from you. (laughs) Tell us where you're walking. What can you see? <laughs> or you seen any unusual frog personalities? Yeah, yeah. Cool. Yeah, well, that's meta. That's about as meta as it gets. It's like Exhibit would have a field day with this one. Hey, you like podcasts? Why don't you talk about your podcast in a podcast paper where you're talking a paper podcast about papers? <laughs> I couldn't not mention it. Yeah, no, definitely. <laughs> yeah, I, I like it. <laughs> um, yeah, I just thought that was really cool. There is a growth and there are plenty out there, so... The chances are, if you're listening to it, you're like, I wish, I wish these guys would talk more about bugs. Probably a podcast out there. There is. It's called Entocast. Which is one I keep meaning to listen to, actually, because I feel like I should know more about bugs before they're all wiped off the face of the earth. Mm, it's good. It's good. I recommend it. Yeah. No, it's, it, it was it was reaffirming, if that's the right word. Mm, well, I'm glad to hear you've been affirmed. I feel affirmed. What should we talk about next? Um... So, you know, like uh, in Star Trek, they have that little scanner that can scan life forms, right? Mm. Little uh, tricorder or whatever it's called. I'm going to say yeah? yes. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, I think we've basically taken another step towards that technology. Um, there's a paper by Pomerantz et al. Called real-time DNA barcoding in a rainforest using nanospore sequencing. Opportunities for rapid biodiversity assessment of lo- and local capacity building. Published in GigaScience. Um, basically, it is field. It, it's a paper detailing their uh, use of field-based lab equipment for DNA barcoding that was all done in the field. So you're IDing stuff and doing all doing all your silly lab work stuff and your PCRs and whatnot in the field. So you're going from catching animal to knowing what the animal is and getting a DNA sample from it to sequencing that DNA all in the space of, oh, I don't know, like 48 hours or something ridiculously short. That's Might crazy. have even been quicker than that. I think it was longer because they did it in batches. That's crazy. Um, yeah, how long was it? It was it was some ridiculously short space of time for what it was. And it just sounded so ridiculously sci-fi that you can take a bit of equipment with you out to the field, some chemicals and whatnot, get your animal, do all the lab work in the lab, and come out with its DNA all in the field. Just blows my mind. Wow. <laughs> I, can't, I can't handle it. And there's, there's, there's a master And it was really accurate too. That was the other thing. It's really accurate. Well, that's meta- basically what the paper was saying. It's great. They don't call it a meta barcode for nothing. You just scan that thing. Beep. You got the animal. There's someone that's at a snake. There's someone at Bangor doing that with um, eDNA samples. So soon you won't even have to have. See, that's the next yeah, step. Yeah, you won't even need to if have you just the suck actual... up some water. Yeah. Throw it in the. See, that's what I'm bringing the Star Trek reference up. You just scan. Oh yeah, I detect X life form here. Yeah. That's that's the future. Give it another. Uh, who knows how many years <laughs> but the point is you just need to do this but on a way smaller scale and more efficiently mm-hmm. and you've got some sci-fi equipment 
All you'll need is an ant-sized drone to go and pick up a tiny, tiny piece of soil, and you'll know all the animals that live in the forest. <laughs> yep. Ah, uh, there you go. It's a good, the truly the golden age of being a scientist. <laughs> it's yeah, but the thing is, give it twenty years, and you'll be saying that again. Yeah. For no. the same reason, but it's the size of a pocket calculator. And then twenty years after that, we'll be scrabbling around trying to find firewood. <laughs> <laughs> Ah, oh, nuclear oh. winter. <laughs> oh no, that giant frog that we'd released 20 years previously, it's, it's come back. Oh no. It's a hyper-colonizer. <laughs> the forefront of cane toads has made it all the way right round to this side of the earth and they're ginormous. It's got a taste for humans. <laughs> Good lord. Uh, still, at least you'll be able to s- scan it and know what it is. Vanilla homophagus. <laughs> homophagus. Yep, so... Wow, incredible. That truly is a remarkable advancement. It was wicked. I didn't understand half of it because it is kind of a very heavily methods-related paper. Um, but I, the whole... It, it just... I'm, I was just amazed. It's got pictures of eyelash palm pit vipers in it. That's cheeky, uh, that is. Jampato that is an easy toad. sell. So, uh, I suppose you can put any animal in there, really, can't you? Just like... Here's an example of an animal that you well, can provide, test this Well, providing on. it's got something to compare it to, I think that's where the difficulties come, is if it's not been... Barcoded. Barcoded. Mm. Um, but that's just another thing to get done, isn't it? <laughs> Very awesome. You'd still have you'd still have results to be like, oh, that's different, that's weird. So it would be grounds for further work, and you already have some samples to start working with, so... Well... Wicked Portable Laboratory. Portable laboratory. First came the portable lavatory, and now the portable laboratory. It's taking its time. What will science come <laughs> up with next? Cool. Man, so much happened in the past few weeks. In terms Dude, of science. It's, it hardly scratches the surface. There's so much other cool stuff that you're yeah. like, oh, I could talk about that, but that would actually be better for a later podcast. Maybe. It seems like... That would be, so, that's almost its own podcast. And it's, yeah, yeah well, it's... I mean, those two crocodile papers could have been a podcast by themselves. They could have. Crocodilian papers. I probably said crocodile. I should have said crocodilian a few times in this episode, but what are you going to do? Probably ignore it and hope that people forgive you. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Good stuff, man. Good stuff. So, um, any other business type things? There's a, few uh, stuff. There's a few stuffs to discuss. Got a new uh, patron. We've got oh, to give yes, a shout out to. Richard Rich Southworth. Southworth. Sorry. You say his name. Rich Southworth or Richard Southworth? Richard Southworth. Yes, thank you very much, yeah. Richard. Thank you very much. Yes, pushing towards that that goal of being self-sustaining. Yeah, we only don't need many more patreons. So if you're feeling kind, as little as a dollar a month, and uh, yeah, you could support us. It'd be awesome. Um, in terms of corrections, uh, we had Gabriel. Oh, we do, don't we? Yeah. Yes, we've got, we've got all sorts of lizard information. Yeah, because yeah. last week we talked about annals. Last week, I always say last week. Last bi-week, we talked about annals a lot. Fortnite. Last the bi-week is not a thing. <laughs> the bi-week is a thing. It's just a really ambiguous thing. Um, yeah, so Gabriel NU via Twitter, uh, talking about annals. He's worked with them in the past. He said that... I, I feel like a lot of people have. Yeah, a lot of people have. Yeah, annals have... You know, I mean, there's so much work being done on them, but there's still so much we don't know. That's the best kind of animal, though. That's all of them. Mm. 
Apart from some of them we don't know anything about. But anyway, Gabriel said, uh, I mentioned that they were distributed around the Caribbean, Mexico and part of North America, but they're also found through Central and South America all the way down to Southern Brazil. And he also mentioned that we were talking about the defined ecomorphs. Um, yes. But they only really work in Antilles species. Mainland taxa, uh, it's a little bit more complicated. Their ecological niches are more broad because their ecosystems are more diverse. Would make sense. Yeah. I mean, if a, a, distrib- a distribution that wide, you're going to be expecting different weird niches. Yeah. Especially when they seem to so sort of readily uh, change themselves. Yeah. But uh, sometimes there are similar ones, like there are similar twig ones in the mainland and stuff like that. Um, but for the most part, it's a little bit more complicated. And then... Uh, oh, yeah, the, he, he, he was talking about this one called Anolis Onca, which is the only animal that doesn't have a smooth subdigital lamellae, which is like the part of the foot which helps it climb stuff. Um, they actually live onca. on the... Yeah, Anolis Onca, and they actually live on the beach. So they're kind of like... They're kind of like, uh, do you remember we talked about, I think we talked about Chameleon Namaquensis once upon a time, the chameleon which is adapted to live in deserts and walks around on the sand, like basically just pretending it's not a chameleon. Well, yeah, this is kind of the animal equivalent. Um, it lives on the beach and it's just like super chill. It's, you know, it's not phased by the things that phase normal animals. Okay. Yeah. Where does that, where does that name come from? Oh, its common name is the bulky anole. <laughs> <laughs> oh, I thought it was called the beach anole. <laughs> well, okay, I'm, I'm, I've got bulky in front of me. I'm on reptile database. What can... <laughs> bulky anole <laughs> does say that. It's hilarious. <laughs> I think, because isn't onca the same as jaguar? Isn't jaguar panthera onca? Or am I forget? Am I? I don't know. It says on Reptile Database there are a few that lack the sub-digital oh, not Jaguar lamellae. cars. It is. It's Panthera onca. What does it mean? Onca. Okay. Uh, All right, we're on to the meaning now. Onca meaning. Etymology. Onca is the Portuguese onca with the cedilla dropped for typographical reasons, found in English as ounce for the snow leopard. Panthera unica derives from the Latin from links, basically, with the letter L confused with the definite article. Lonza. Lonz. What? I don't get it. I don't get it. So it's been named after a lynx? Well, that's upsetting. It's got to have been... Te- it's got to have taken on another meaning. Oh, do you know what? It probably is just because it's a predator that runs around on the beach, savaging insects. So they probably thought... Like a jaguar. It's like a jaguar of the sand. Which is I don't know. I'm getting my information from Wikipedia here, so well, I've just looked it be... up and it said ounce as well. Or anyway, anyway, let's not get bogged down on that. If you actually know the answer to that, why is it called? I know this onca. Please tell us. <laughs> uh, anyway, yeah, um, yeah. I think that's yeah. about it for corrections. Um, yeah. Oh, oh, yeah. Um, I think that was everything. Yeah, Mark Shirt suggested that. Um, Variation in female coloration being greater than in males could be due due to the females being choosy sex. Because um, if the females have a particular preference for a male coloration, males could end up being monomorphic if one of them is most attractive. So that is a op- sort of option we didn't discuss, as far as I recall. Yes, that makes sense, doesn't it? Yeah. If the if the selection's on the other side, yeah. Mm. 
Yeah. Yeah, that makes perfect sense. Yeah, and actually, um, I did have a look to see if there was any kind of um, UV studies on anal coloration after we discussed that, and I couldn't find anything. Um, admittedly, it looked, I looked for about 30 seconds, and Gabriel actually mentioned that it was a really understudied subject, so yeah, that's something that people should be doing. Yeah, yeah I do want to get a UV or a, a adapted DSLR. Mate, take photos of everything. It will all be so cool. Yeah, well, that's my, that's sort of the what I'm thinking, but I don't have the money. <laughs> yeah, that's like a grant application that needs to happen. Anyway, yeah, we've also got big, 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 big news. Probably the biggest news since the podcast was came out. Bigger news than the introduction of the news niche. News niche. I don't feel like we should actually ever say. I feel like. <laughs> It should be like the other That's titles. why I've said it so much is because it's it's very obvious that you refuse to say it. <laughs> I can't believe you just goaded me into saying it as well. Um, no, I'm talking about Ben, our new apparel. Apparel. Yes, mate. We got t-shirts. We do have t-shirts. Yeah. So and mugs and mugs and stickers. And stickers <laughs> and sweatshirts. If you want to put it on a sweatshirt, I guess. What about duvet covers? Um, no, I disabled the duvet cover option because they didn't look very good. <laughs> a nice sash? <laughs> <laughs> there were scarves, they're also disabled. Yeah, no, I don't think it would work on a scarf. But yeah, essentially... Oh, um, travel mugs? Ben's always very modest about this, but he does the awesome artwork for our uh, podcast. And now, um, he's adapted some of them so they can go on t-shirts, and they're awesome. I'm going to get one. And uh, yeah, they're available on redbubble.com. So it, what it is, it's redbubble.com slash people slash herb highlights. Ah, cool. That will get you to our profile where awesome. stuff can be found. Yep. Get a t-shirt. They're around about, you can get the deluxe one for like 20 something, 27, 28, 29, can't remember. And then you can get the kind of like slightly cheaper version for like 15, 16 pounds plus postage. So it's not outrageously expensive. Yeah. <laughs> I'm going to wear one every day. So, uh, yeah, that's an easy... Well, thing. you can get... Yeah, get get several, then you can have different colours, can't you? Yeah. Just, like, everywhere I go. Free advertising. And people ask me, like, that's a cool t-shirt. What's that for? And I'll have to, like, embarrassingly tell them it's a podcast that I do. <laughs> <laughs> Be like, I don't know. I just found it. <laughs> just a cool shirt. on the street. <laughs> Charity shop, mate. No idea. <laughs> Charity shop. Yeah. Yeah. Um, yeah, that's that. Like... Get, get a t-shirt um, they're awesome there's some really cool ones there's like a flat neck chameleon there's Ayatollah the whip, the oriental vine snake there's uh, there's that lizard yeah that lizard you know oh, love him Colotes Colotes yes the forest lizard um, is there another snake as well yeah there's the radiated rat snake isn't there that's a cool one Radiated rat snake. Yeah, but yeah, go check them out. Uh, Common toad. Common toad. Hey. Yeah, with the evil eyes. Hypno toad. <laughs> with the evil eyes. Yeah. If you want to control your enemies, wear that one. Anyway. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, that's been a long time in the making. So hopefully they'll. Uh, I know a few people have asked us about t-shirts. So now there you go. And um, yeah, pot- there you go. Potentially more designs in the future, but for now, just make do with what you've got. <laughs> <laughs> Well, unless there's a special request. Well. If there's a doable special request. Well, perhaps it could be a, a Patreon uh, thing where if they pay a lot of money, they can get a t-shirt of their own design, of their own pet. <laughs> yeah, but, the, but <laughs> that seems 
seems you can't have someone pay for yeah for <laughs> suggesting a design to then buy. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, but actually, yeah, we do need pictures of things' faces. So yeah, send a photo of an animal's face and give Ben permission to turn it into art. It probably won't happen, but it might. Oh no, that's all getting cut. I'm not having that responsibility. Oh, I thought that's what you were suggesting. No, I've changed my mind on it. <laughs> Fair enough, man. <laughs> because people, I oh, no, I'm not. No, I can't handle that. <laughs> that's fair enough. It's fair enough. It's just gonna it, it would, like it would, if that actually would... took off, it would be it would be so much work. Oh yeah, but like yeah, but I think you wouldn't have to do them all. But yeah, just just leave it out. Um. Yeah, I'd feel bad not doing them though for people. Yeah, you would. Uh, yeah. Everybody's so nice. Yeah, especially if it was like a kid and they sent you a shitty photo of like some fucking raggedy ass bearded dragon <laughs> covered in spines, and you're just like, I don't want to do that. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, or Lithoglossus molossus, and I'd be like, I can't. Eat. It's just a blob, <laughs> purple frog. Purple. I tried a... drawing a purple frog, and I gave up. It's not an animal. <laughs> <laughs> it's um, a abomination. Anyway, uh, yeah. Love so, those guys. anything else that we need to mention while we're on? Um, yeah. I don't think so. I think that's pretty much everything. Cool, cool. Well, we're um... that's that's news news niche episode twenty seven all wrapped up. No. News niche. If you want to get in touch with us, you can email us herphighlights at gmail.com or facebook.com slash herphighlights or Twitter. We are at herphighlights. Get in touch with us with any corrections that you might have because we do get stuff wrong with staggering regularity. Um, yeah, and that's about it for me. Yeah, that sounds good. Uh, drops a line. Corrections, very, very welcome because that's kind of the whole point of the uh, podcast is to have as up to date and correct information as we can possibly manage yeah nice one well yeah thank you very much for listening yeah thank you for listening hope to be I always do this it's not hope to talk to you next fortnight that makes no sense (laughs) (sighs) and talk at you sounds weird sign off (laughs) sign off (laughs) bye (laughs) bye I tried drawing a purple frog and I gave up. It's not an animal. (laughs) (laughs) It's Um, a barbination.